calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy. Written and produced by Travis Heerman. Voice talent by Danielle McCarville and Zeus Legion. For more information, please visit TravisHeerman.com. This novel contains violence and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 5. Young men should discipline themselves rigorously in intention and courage. This will be accomplished only if courage is fixed in one's heart. If one's sword is broken, he will strike with his hands. If his hands are cut off, he will press the enemy down with his shoulders. If his shoulders are cut away, he will bite through ten or fifteen enemy necks with his teeth. Courage is such a thing. Hagakure. When the morning dawned, Taro awoke, wondering why he was doing this. The rain had turned his small fire into sodden coals, and he was alone in the woods. The other villagers, even the other deputies, had returned to the village the previous evening. Why had he left his home to pursue this ronin? With Takenaga's swords nestled beside him in his blanket, the answer was easy. He had long dreamed of somehow being able to leave the village. True, it was the only place he had ever known. But he knew there was a wider world, and he yearned to explore it. In truth, life in Uchida village was frightfully boring and far too much work. That is why he was so happy to be chosen for one of Takenaga's deputies— to relieve himself of some of the relentless boredom and field toil that farmers endured. But he found that he liked being a deputy. He liked the authority. Even though he was young, he became more powerful than many of the older village men, and pretty young girls admired him for it. He liked the field training. The life of a farmer's son had made him strong and fit, but Takenaga's training regimen had made him stronger, more agile, more powerful. 
With his jite, he was not afraid to face a man with a sword or spear. Once, he had even been able to disarm Takenaga during practice. Of course, this had angered his master, so he ultimately beat Taro bloody. Takenaga had hidden his frustration at being bested by one of his deputies as a lesson in being prepared, but Taro was smart. He knew that it was just rage. Takenaga had been a man full of rage his whole life. Because of that rage, he had been placed far from Lord Nishimuta's estate. No one spoke of it, but everyone knew that was the true reason. Before Takenaga, Uchida Village had had no constable at all. When Takenaga was not watching, Taro had often stolen one of the constable's wooden training swords, practiced with it in the woods, out of sight of the village. The weight and balance of a steel katana was different, but he would learn that in time. Until he was more skilled with the katana, his jite would serve him well. From the moment he had taken up the swords, he sensed he had embarked on a path to something else, somewhere else. If he captured or killed the ronin, he might be able to become a real warrior. There were many tales of warrior farmers who showed courage and strength of arms and became famous samurai. Some were said to have even founded their own clans, and he owed it to his teacher to bring the murderer to justice. Even though Takenaga had been a harsh man, he had made Taro into something stronger, tougher than he had been before. It was Taro's obligation to see him avenged. Taro had known, before the pursuit even began yesterday morning, that only he would continue. Yohachi was a weak man, and had inherited his status as the village headman from his father, who had been a wise and strong leader. Yohachi was neither of those things. He was small-minded and greedy. Even the other deputies had tired of the pursuit when they had not found the ronin quickly. The other villagers had followed Yohachi's lead for a time, but their hearts were not in it. Too many of them secretly despised Takenaga and were happy he was dead. But Taro didn't care. It was enough that he cared. He owed his slain master a debt that he intended to repay, and carrying out the repayment of that obligation would serve him well as a stepping stone to better things. He resumed his way, hoping to find some evidence of the ronin's passing or some traveler or village who had seen him. He ate a rice ball from his satchel as he walked, chafing at the humid morning air, which made his coarse hemp clothing smelly and soggy. But in truth, he could not remember feeling more alive. He rubbed the hard steel pommel of the jite thrust in his sash. Excitement coursed like hot sake through his veins. The ronin could not be far away. The day grew brighter and warmer and began to dry up the puddles. He met no one else on the road. What would he do when he caught the ronin? First, he did not expect the man to come willingly. He would have to fight him. The ronin had killed Takenaga, so he was a formidable fighter. But few swordsmen had ever faced a man with a jite. The jite was not meant for killing, even though it could. It was designed to catch the blade of a sword in its prong so the opponent could be disarmed. Once the ronin was disarmed, 
Taro could then use fists, feet, or his weapon's pommel to knock his opponent senseless. He had brought a length of tough hemp rope to tie him up as well. Then he would take the ronin to Lord Nishimuta so that justice could be served. Lord Nishimuta would be so impressed with Taro's skill that he would take him into service as a warrior. Perhaps he would learn to use the spear or the naginata. It would be a fine thing indeed. Then a strange sound caught his ear from far in the distance, the most bizarre sound he had ever heard, something akin to a human scream, a woman's, but it sounded like something from a nightmare. Goosebumps rippled down his arms and legs as he imagined the agony that caused such a scream. The scream echoed strangely under the forest canopy as if the wind itself quailed at its touch. Taro gripped his jite with one hand, the hilt of the katana with the other, and ran towards the sound. He ran and ran, listening for another scream but hearing nothing. Then he noticed that the air ahead was hazy, smoky, and a strange, awful stench hung like the entrails of a corpse between the trees. It was smoke in the air, but like no smoke he had ever seen or smelled. It left a disgusting, oily taste in his mouth, and his pace slowed to a cautious trot. A shape emerged from the yellowish-green haze ahead. An old man, a woodcutter. It was Dongai, from his village, trotting up the road, holding a cloth over his nose and mouth. His eyes were bloodshot and watery from the smoke. The old man was just as surprised to see Taro and even more surprised to see him wearing two swords. Taro saw the questions in Dungai's eyes, but he spoke first. What happened down there? The old man rubbed his chin. Well, there was a fight with an oni and some bandits, and this young ronin saved Lord Nishimuta's daughter from the oni and... Ronin? Yes, but... And an oni? Yes, and... And what's this about Lord Nishimuta's daughter? Well, you see, this brave ronin saved her from the oni. Killed it, you see. Killed an oni? Well, yes, tell me. The old man's eyes narrowed, and he took a deep breath. I'm trying to tell you, you young fool. Just because you're wearing swords today doesn't mean you can speak to me that way, boy. I was selling wood to your parents before you were born. I'm sorry, sir. Taro's face reddened, and he bowed. Forgive me. Please continue. And what are you doing with swords, anyway? Where did you get them? Fancy yourself a samurai? Going to become a ronin like him? Of course not. Please, tell me what happened. The old man took another deep breath and told his tale. Taro listened impatiently. The old man actually admired the ronin he described. Could it be the same one? Who else could it be? Do you know his name? He said his name was Kanishi. Taro's teeth gritted. This is the same ronin who murdered Takanaga yesterday. Dengai's eyes bulged. Murdered? How did that happen? The ronin cut him down in a duel. Was it a fair fight? I 
I didn't see. I was in the fields. I would hardly call a duel murder. Are you going after him? Yes. The old man sized him up for a moment. When he spoke, his voice was grave. You would do well to go back home, Taro. That ronin is more than a match for you. He is not to be trifled with. Taro stiffened. And he is not a bad man. A young cock, perhaps, but not a bad man. Killing the Oni was a good deed. But still, and I can see you are a young cock like him. Well, good luck. If you're lucky, he won't kill you. I have to go tell the grave diggers. Taro's ears burned. I'll find him, and he will pay for his crime. Dungai nodded and walked away, shaking his head. Taro watched him for a moment, angry at the disparagement of his abilities. Then he turned and ran on into the foul, smoky haze. The haze grew thicker, nauseating, choking him, until he could only walk quickly, covering his mouth and nose with a cloth, unable to breathe deeply without coughing and retching. But soon he found its source. A fire burned in the middle of the road, and bloody bodies were scattered about like broken dolls. His stomach heaved at the overpowering stench, threatening to empty his meager breakfast into the dirt. But he clamped his mouth shut and looked around. The shock of seeing so much death made his knees wobbly as he stepped among the corpses, over dark patches of blood soaking the earth and sprays of what looked like tar. And where was the ronin? He could not have gone far. Taro looked ahead, down the road, but saw nothing. The sizzle and pop of the fire drew his attention. A blackened skull leered at him from within the flames. His eyes watered fiercely from the heat and the smoke, and he covered his mouth and nose with a cloth again. Then he yelped as pain lanced through his ankle. A sizzling, smoking, pulsing black rope wrapped around his leg like a tentacle, searing his flesh, squeezing with fearsome strength. It had snaked out of the fire, and the other end was still engulfed in flames. Something was biting, chewing into the flesh of his leg. He cried out in revulsion, drew Takanaga's sword, and slashed across the throbbing tentacle, severing it a handbreadth from his ankle. He scrambled away from the fire, with the thing still attached to his skin. Blood trickled along the sides of the tentacle. His blood. With the point of the sword, he tried to pry the thing off without hurting himself further, but after a few moments, he knew he would have to use his hands. Sitting down on the ground, well away from the fire, he grasped the severed end and began to unwind it. It gripped him like a squid's tentacle or a snake. The thing came away from his flesh with a trail of slime and blood, but as it began to separate, part of it held on to him like a small sucking mouth. With a further cry of disgust, he ripped it free and held it away from him as it flopped and writhed. Small, separating mouths lined its length, surrounded by multitudes of tiny teeth stained red with his blood. Cold chills turned his shoulders into soft paste, and he cast it into the fire. Aghast at the terrible spiral wound, he knelt and gripped his leg. 
The searing pain did not diminish now that the thing was gone. Wisps of smoke still rose from the hot slime. His burned skin had peeled away with the tentacle. Rivulets of blood trickled from the holes where the tiny mouths had been torn away from his flesh. Then, almost without him noticing, the last of his strength drained away from his limbs and the world fell black. When Tara awoke, the pain had diminished, but his mind was still cloudy. He knew he should clean the ugly wound immediately, so he uncorked his water bottle and tried to wash it as best he could. He could hardly stand to touch it, but he tried to wipe the slime and blood away until the water was gone. When he attempted to stand, he found that he could put some weight on that leg. It was painful, but he would manage. His mind began to clear, and he surveyed the scene. It was just as Dungai had described. Some blood-soaked bandages lay discarded in the grass by the roadside. Two sets of footprints and two parallel tracks left by the dragging poles. A bit of good fortune? He could follow them anywhere with a trail like that. He started after them at a fast limp. Thank you for listening to Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy by Travis Heerman. Volume 2, Sword of the Ronin, and Volume 3, Spirit of the Ronin, are available now on your favorite audiobook platform. Please visit TravisHeerman.com, look me up on social media, or send me an email. I would love to hear what you think about the story.